We are going to be starting a new series today on Jonah. How many of you have read the book of Jonah? You all know the story of Jonah, don't you? The story of Jonah goes about how Jonah was called by God to go and prophesy to the, the city of Nineveh. He decided he didn't want to do that. He got on a ship, went to Wales. The storm came. So he was thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, vomited up on land. It's like one of those, that's what the Bible says. I'm not being like um, crude or anything. The Bible says the fish vomited him up on land. You know, I just have it. Talk about disappointment, you know, that's not a way to like eat into your ministry and glory. He was vomited up on land, finally decides to obey God, goes there, just preaches as he's supposed to, disappointed with the result, and has this little moment with God when him and God wrestle over God's destiny for him and his destiny for of the kingdom, God's kingdom on earth. So we are going to be talking about Jonah. Now, if you've read the book, you will you'll see it's like a bit of a strange book. Only four chapters long, but Jonah in the book doesn't seem to do things well. He's like always messing up, running away from God, having bad things happen to you. He doesn't end the book happy, he ends the book sad. And the question we ask is what is God trying to say in the book of Jonah? Well, here's the wild thing is Jonah wrote the book of Jonah, and in the book of Jonah, Jonah looks really bad. So, Jonah, when he was writing this book, the point of this book was. To show to all of Israel, he's in Israel, he's, the point of all of this is to say, hey guys, I, I wrestled with God, I didn't agree with God, I walked away from God, and it went bad for me. Israel, you are not obeying God, you are walking away from God, it won't go well. Jonah is writing a satire about himself to show Israel the error of their way. It's like he's telling a story that he hopes they will see themselves in. Now, I know everyone here, everyone here, you are moving on with God, you love Jesus, you're being used by Him, you have a great future ahead of you, you're loving Jesus at every turn, but maybe somewhere, somewhere in your life, there's a little bit of, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, I've heard God, but I just, I, I don't know if I want to do it God's way. I don't know if I want to. I want to be like that. Have any of you felt that from time to time? Mm -hmm. <laughs> some of you are looking at me saying, every Christian at some time has, has wrestled with the call of God in his life. Has said, God, I don't know. I don't know if I can. God, that purity thing. I don't know if I can live that purity thing. I've got a better idea. I'll just live this hard purity thing, and maybe you can still bless me. You know, you know that. Um, Oh, that evangelism thing, called to reach out to my neighbor. God, you couldn't have been serious. I'm not I'm not really sure if you were serious about that. So maybe I will just I will just um, you know speak to my teddy bear and tell him all about Jesus. That will be good enough. And so every one of us has wrestled with the call of God in our life, just as Jonah did. And the point of this book is to say, guys, everyone, Israel, individuals reading this. Trust God. Do what he says because it will go well with you. And God is the kind of faithful God who will look after his call on your life and he will work to bring it to pass. The more you submit to him, the quicker you surrender to what he's saying, the less storms you will experience, and nonetheless, God is faithful to bring it to pass. 
Are you interested to hear what God said to Jonah? The great thing about the book of Jonah, or not the great thing, the important thing before you begin is to understand that Jonah is not the hero of the book of Jonah. Because if he was the hero, he's a very poor hero. Jonah is not the hero of the book of Jonah. God is the hero of the book of Jonah. When you get to the end, you should be saying this. Oh my word, God, you're so great. Oh my word, you're so kind. Oh my word, you're so faithful. Oh my word, you're so good. Not only to me, but to me. There's no end to your goodness. So let's begin. 800 years before Jesus was born, Jonah wrote this book. And the book starts, it doesn't start with this fish, in the middle of the story there's this fish, but when we, when we read this book, we often can think that maybe this was just a myth. Have you ever thought that? You know, how would that really happen? You know, come on. All these things in the Bible, could, could they be real? Well, did you know that in 1891, a man by the name of Barty, he clearly was on a ship somewhere, and he fell off the ship, and he was followed, swallowed by a sperm whale. Some days later, they found the sperm whale dead. He had died of constipation. Some of you clearly don't know what that is because you're not laughing. <laughs> the moral of the story for blue whales, I mean for sperm whales, is don't eat people. You're not meant to. But anyway, they cut open this whale. They cut open this whale and they found this gentleman in the whale alive. Alive. Severely traumatized, but nonetheless alive. <laughs> This is the picture. That is called a whale shark. I mean, are you ever going to swim in the sea and see again? I mean, knowing that those things exist is very good reason to stay out of the sea. But nonetheless, that is a diver that is swimming in front of the whale shark. Whale sharks don't eat flesh. They eat tiny little micro um, plankton in the water and stuff. They filter feeders. But they are huge, absolutely huge. And... There you can see a diver's leg, then you can see it would be extremely easy for that whale shark to swallow that diver. That is not an impossible thing. So here we start Jonah with this. Jonah in the belly of a fish for three days is a plausible thing. So let's continue. So how does the book of Jonah begin? Jonah begins like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. I just love that. When I say that over to myself, the word of the Lord came to me. Can you just say that to God yourself? The word of the Lord came to me. Whenever I say it, I just think, I get this feeling of someone's putting are we just being wrapped up? Seeing as it's winter, I would maybe I feel differently in summer, but in winter I feel like I'm wrapped up all cozy in front of the fire with hot chocolate in my hand. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's a comfort It's like God stepped down out of heaven and came to Jonah. It doesn't say God said to Jonah, which it says in other places in the Bible, but it says the word of the Lord. heard of that phrase of the word of God 
the Bible, but ultimately, John gave us a new definition of the Word. In John 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is called the Word of God. The Word. The ultimate Word. The ultimate communication of God to man. And when the Bible says, the Word came to Jonah, it's, it's mirroring something that is said in the Old Testament very often. The Word of the Lord came to Abraham. The Word of the Lord came to Elijah. And whenever I read this, I see Jesus stepping out of heaven and coming and sitting next to the prophet and saying, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Interestingly enough, when the Word of the Lord came to Abraham, it says he saw a vision. So the Word of the Lord wasn't always just the spoken Word of God. It was an experience that the person had of God's presence around them in which they got revelation either about their future or about who God is or about their environment. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah. I remember one time I was in grade 10 and I was walking to school and it's most likely that I was late for school because I was almost always late for school. Funny thing, just a uh, short side note. I had only just met Jesus in my old ways, was still leaving slowly. But I, I, I was like a gate monitor, and I took names of people who arrived late at school. So my, my philosophy was, who's going to catch you? But anyway, so God has reformed me, and I was on my way to school. And as I was on my way to school, the presence of the Lord just came about me. That's all I can describe. It, it just felt like that, like just warmth and safety. Greatness and glory enveloped me. I didn't see flashes of lightning. There was no angel standing in front of me. No words were written in the sky. I just knew God was with me. And in my heart, I just heard this phrase There's something I want you to see. And then we learned it. And I carried on to school and was late and probably got a detention. But in that detention, I knew God. In that moment, I realized that my life was significant, that there was something important for me to do. There was a reason for me to be born. And I want to say to you, I'm sure you've all experienced this. You know, maybe you didn't have the exact same words. Maybe there were no words, but it was just, you knew God was here, and your life made sense. And I want to say, that is God calling you. That is God looking down from heaven and saying, you, I choose you. You, you, you are called for something great. Your life matters. I am calling you to do something for me. I'm calling you to speak for me, to live for me, to reveal me. And I say this, that every human soul was born for that. That until, until you experience that, you're not really living. I want to, I want to say that unless, unless you felt God breathe life to your existence, then you're just going through. When God, the word of the Lord comes to you, everything changes. Everything changes. Now you don't just get up and have breakfast because it's the right thing to do. You get up and have breakfast because there's a day out there worth tackling. There are adventures to be had. There's stuff to do. There's a life to be lived. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word of the Lord 
pigs who make us new and give us life. And that's what God is still to you when he comes to you, when he calls you. He unveils the Father to you. He restores the meaning to your life. He makes you new. Your life is made to cause your neighbor to celebrate your generosity. Not because you're getting great accolades, you're hugely wealthy, and you're driving the right car. You may have those things, you may not have those things, but the joy that exudes from your life is made to speak to your neighbor. God is good. The delight you have in ordinary, everyday relationships is made to speak to the world that God is good. The sense of significance you have in your everyday is made to speak to the world that God is good. And the words you speak to your neighbors of who God is and what he's done for you is meant to draw them to you. Your life matters. Your life is significant. God has put you in this place, in this time, for a reason. Your neighbors matter to him. And God, the word of the Lord has come to you to reach your neighbors. The Lord, word of the Lord has come to you to reach your schoolmates, to reach your colleagues, to reach your family, to reach your friends. Because God is good enough all of mankind in his presence forever. Tim Keller said this. He said, in the, if the God of the Bible exists and there is a true reality beneath and behind this one, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling can matter forever. Your life has eternal value. How you greet your neighbor has eternal value. How you love your children has eternal value. How you live out your calling has eternal value. He goes on and he says this, If there is no God, everyone will be forgotten. Nothing we do will make any difference. And all good endeavors, even the best, will come to naught. If God has not called you, if the word of the Lord is not calling you, if the word of the Lord is not equipping you, if the word of the Lord is not empowering you, then there's no reason to be living. But it is. I want to make that clear. No one's going to leave you with the thought that there's no reason to live. God has called you. God has called you. And if you can't remember a time where God called you, I'll give it to you right now. You can after the service, I'll pray for you. God will call you. So, Jonah hears that he's meant to go to Nineveh because Nineveh is living unrighteously. Unrighteously. And he is meant to go there to share with them who God is and call them to repentance. So Jonah hears this, and this is how it carries on. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went out to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And all the world around him is dying in Joseph and Jonah's sleep. None of us have ever done that. Just turn a blind eye, pretend it's not happening. Oh, wow. None of us have ever done, ever done that. But remember, Jonah's writing was to show us, our worst sides to us. Here's what I love is that God doesn't even care. God doesn't care. Jonah, Jonah 
imagine Jonah's over here. He's sitting in a little town in Israel, and God says to him, See Nineveh over there, the drum cage. Nineveh over there, I need you to go and speak to those Ninevites. So Jonah turns this way and heads as fast as he can in the opposite direction. He jumps on a boat and he heads to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish was most probably in Spain. I mean, it's like in the then known world to him, that was the furthest possible place he could get from Nineveh. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it was like where, where, you know, God's calling me to Johannesburg. What's the opposite of the world, in the world to, you know, uh, New Zealand? I'll head to New Zealand. <laughs> if you didn't catch the satire in that, I'm sorry. <laughs> but basically, Jonah said, I'm going in that absolute But here's the beauty of it. He's running away from his call, but God is merciful. God says, Jonah, I will not allow you to run away from what you are called to do. I will not allow you to run away from what you're called to. The, the greatness that I see coming from your calling, I will not allow you to forfeit that. So what did God do? His mercy sent a storm. His mercy sent a storm. You've had storms in your life and you thought it was the devil. And maybe it was, but some of them were God. There are two types of types of storms that you will face. The first storm comes when you are doing what you should not be doing. That's a Jonah storm. The second kind of storm comes when you're doing what you should be doing. So here's the thing. If you're doing if you're running away from God or you're running with God, either way there's going to be a storm that's going to come. So here's the bottom line is that storms are going to come. Can you also take a deep breath and say storms are going to come? Storms are going to come. How do we distinguish between the Jonah kind of storm and the Jesus kind of storm? So here's the thing is that Jesus, there's a fascinating story where Jesus told his disciples, get in the boat, we're going to the other side of the lake. And halfway across, Jesus was also sitting in the boat, and a giant storm arose. But they were doing what God had told them to do. And the storm storm came. What did they do? It was still the mercy of God that allowed that Because God is always merciful. He can never be anything but merciful. But think of it this way. The purpose of that storm was to build faith in their hearts that they would be able to push through that storm to the other side. God knew what they were going to face on the other side. That was a demoniac who was so crazy, who could not be changed, who was tearing his own flesh that the whole city was terrified of. And he knew if they arrived there without building some muscle, there's going to be some problems. So he allowed a storm. He allowed a storm. And as the disciples called on Jesus, what did Jesus do? You remember the story. He looked straight into the eye of that storm and he said, Peace be still. That's, that's ancient Hebrew for shut up. Step aside. Get out of my way. I'm going there. You have no right to stop. The disciples had front row seats. Front row seats watching God's glory still I'm telling you, when they got to that demoniac who was behaving crazy, they were like, Sir, you're, you're nothing like that storm we've just experienced. Oh, man, if we saw what Jesus did to that storm. 
you better stop now. Because <laughs> Jesus is right behind us. I need the faith that must have built in their heart. So you get two kinds of storms. The one kind of storm you are supposed to press through, and in it, God will do a miracle. He'll, he'll still the storm, he'll send you forward with greater faith than you've ever had before. And then there's the kind of storm that you get when you're running away from God or you, you're doing things in an opposite direction to what God wants to do. The storm is meant to turn you around. And what you do in that storm is you say, Oh Lord, I was wrong. Sorry, you turn around and go back the way you came. How do you know what the storm is? How do you know which kind of storm you're facing? I hope this is the question you asked and I'll see How do you know? It's the word of the Lord. What was the last thing you heard of the Lord? If the last thing you heard from the Lord was go across the lake, then go through the storm. If the last thing you heard was go to Nineveh, then turn around and go to Nineveh. The word of the Lord will determine for you what you're supposed to do. Either way, it's the mercy of God that allows that storm to come. God sees a storm because he is merciful. Since verse says this, and I love this statement, he said this, until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real son. This is what that song was after with Jonah. His children were still thinking about self-actualization. Do you know what that is? It's a, it's a big thing that society is getting you to do right now. It's like find your real self and live to your own potential. It's all about you, you living out all, all that you want to live in life. But I want to tell you it's a lie. Is it okay for me to say that? That modern psychology has a lot of You, you're just living out all you want to live and meeting all your dreams. It's not what God's called you to do. God has called you to fulfill His dreams. And if you want to make His dreams your dreams. The most yourself you will ever be is surrendered to Jesus. The most you you will ever be is surrendered to Jesus because when you are surrendered to His call on your life, everything you are made to be stands up and comes into life. You try to figure out your own life in your own way, running running to Tarshish, wherever your Tarshish is, running away to, to, to build your own life. You can't do it because unless God calls you to life, you can't do it. And no matter how hard you try, it will never, ever be worth it. God, God, your real self is you in Jesus. And then you can live out the fullness of what, of the dreams of Storm's purpose is to reveal to you what or who you will trust. You know, after this whole episode, I'm just wondering what Jonah felt. I, I'm hoping that he suddenly realized, you know what, my own plans for my life are never going to succeed. Trusting in myself is never going to work out. So I want to trust Storm will reveal what you're trusting in. Are you trusting in your career? Are you trusting in your relationship? Are you trusting in your own ability? And all of those things will fail in the storm. And it's not their fault because they were never designed to be your strength. There's only one thing that is designed to be your strength when we feel Jesus Christ. When we, when we hang on to him, cling to him, allow him to be. 
may not be what you think it is. God sent a storm because God is merciful. <laughs> so the story continues and this huge storm comes up and understandably the sailors are a little bit nervous. They think they're going to die. Their nervous is an understatement. They're terrified. And so they start waking everyone up and trying to figure out whose issue this is. Who, which God, of all of our gods, Represented on this boat, sent the storm. And they cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. And they say to Jonah, What is the problem? And he says, You're right, you're right. I serve Yahweh. And it's almost like when he says that, they get terrified because they know Yahweh is the God that, that caused Israel to cross the, dead, the Red Sea, that did all these mighty miracles for them, that defeated all the Canaanites. I mean, they like, Yahweh, that's that's the big God. And they they terrified. And he says, Yes, the only thing you can do, they say, Well, what should we do to stop the storm? He says, The only thing you can do is show me your name. Now that's kind of a radical solution. I don't know how you feel about that. I mean, I feel like, Joey, come on. You know, there are, I, I can think of another very logical way to stop the storm. Dear sailors, I'm so sorry, I got on your boat. I'm wrong I'm running away from Yahweh. But I tell you what, if we turn around and you just take me back to Joppa, then you, I'll get off and I'll go and do what God says. You can get back on the boat and head off to Tarshish and have a happy life. I mean, I feel like, I feel like that would be a really logical solution. But Jonah, Jonah is so set on himself. So set on himself. that he say, I'd rather die than do what God is telling me to do. Throw me overboard. Throw me overboard. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. But you know, I, I, I sometimes feel like God is offering me so many great solutions. And I feel like, and God, if I can't have that, then I don't want anything. That's basically what Jim's saying. If I can't have it my way, I don't want anything at all. None of you have ever been that selfish. But just in case you are, look at the grace and mercy of God. Look at the grace and mercy of God. So we carry on with the story, and you will see it in full form. Um, taking color. From verse 4. Instead, the men did their best to row better. They were smarter. They were smarter than Jonah. You know, like, no, no, there's another solution. They did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And they cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, please, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. Not so innocent, but nonetheless. For you, O Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea was gone. At this, the men were greatly feared from the Lord, which I wish Jonah had done. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they vowed him. The point of Jonah putting this in the story is that the pagans were more righteous than him. But here we see the faithfulness of God. But the Lord a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. God provided that fish to swallow Jonah. It's not the most gracious solution. I mean, oh, it's gracious, but it's not the most glorious solution. It's not the most nice smelling solution, but nonetheless, it is a solution. God provided a fish to swallow Jonah. God sent a fish to God sent the fish to the And the security 
many times that I have thought my way to spend the last day. Have you ever thought that? Just from time to time. Uh, you know, the amount of times I have told God how he should run my life. I don't know if you've had those kind of prayers. I've even used temper tantrums. I even laid on the floor and beat the floor with my fists and cried out and said, God, if you don't change this, I'm going to. You fill in the blank. <laughs> to my delight, I found God impervious, impenetrable, immovable to my temper tantrums. And I found that even when I Relationships in your family. What about all the conversations? Ordinary things in your life that's drawing you out. It's drawing you out. God's He's like that. In conclusion, because God is merciful and faithful, He will watch over His word to you and all for you to perform. Amen. God is faithful. Lord Jesus, I just pray for everyone here. Lord, I ask that, Father God, you would pour out your spirit on us, Lord God, that you would reveal to us your heart, the 
God, you would you would deliver us from ourselves, Lord. You would deliver us from ourselves, Lord. So God, would you remind us of what you have called us to? So God, would you remind us of the great adventure of your kingdom, God? Would you lead us? So God, those of us who have walked away from that call, would you call us, cause us to turn back, Lord? And Lord God, those of us who are facing storms as we pursue it, I just I just speak to those hearts and I say, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Jesus is in the boat with you and that storm will cease to turn back. Lord God, help us to discern the times that we are in and help us to take the right action. And thank you that we can be confident that no matter what, you are watching over your call tonight. You are watching over your purposes. You're watching over the expansion of the kingdom through us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're sending the storms we need, the fish we need, you're sending the rescue that we need. In Jesus' name. You're sending the duration.